Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast along with Brendan Mortensen. Hi, it's me, I'm the problem, Paul Mancano. I was, I was about to say, like, you switched it up a little bit. I did, because I wanted to make the Taylor Swift intro. Wow. She's all I can talk about right now, Brendan. I, you I haven't can even tell. listened to the album yet. No, I haven't. It's, I can't say it's been at the top of my priority must list. must be a tough week to be a Taylor hater. I'm not a Taylor hater. It's just it's just know. not far up on the priority list. Not far up on the priority list. Yeah. There's other albums I want to listen to first. Such as? Carly 1975, Ray. Noah Kahan. You know who produced 1975's new album? Here we go. The same guy who also produced Taylor Swift's new album. That's so wonderful. Still going to listen to 1975 first. Uh, and after you listen to that, you can listen to Carly Rae Jepsen came out with a new album. Tovlo came out with a new album. Big week for music. Haven't heard Toflo's name in about seven years. There are some bangers on there. I'll, I'll say that. Sure. She she still she still got it. If you say so. I mean, you got to listen to the new Taylor album. Antihero is just it's it's a top notch pop hit. If she were but playing in the Super Bowl, we could but hear it on a national stage. But alas. But alas. But not. But sometimes I think that everybody is just a sexy baby, Brendan. And oh. <laughs> What a line. This is almost as bad as reciting the lyrics to Life is a Highway a few podcasts ago. Uh, yes. It, almost as bad. Almost. Honestly, probably worse. Probably. Um, yeah. What a what an album. I'm, I'm going to go home and listen to it on repeat. Uh, you know. Great. And while you're on Spotify listening to Taylor's new album, you can check out the Masson All Access podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, your favorite podcast platforms. Give us five stars. Yeah, let's get off of this topic real quick. <laughs> uh, Brendan, free agency preview. That is on the docket today, and we're not going to get into our free agency bracket. That is for next week, but today we're going to preview the positions of need for the Orioles and throw out some potential names. I think we can talk about some of the top names on the market at each one of the positions that we think the Orioles will target, and then maybe some realistic names, but we won't be seeding them. We won't be doing a deep dive into each free agent until next week. Yeah, so on that bracket, how it works is we have four positions or position groups that we will look at, and then we will rank players one through eight based on our perceived likelihood that the Orioles will sign them. So today, I think the plan is we're just going to break down what those four categories are, why we have narrowed it down to those four categories and those four positions, and like you said, probably give some of the names that we'll see next week on the bracket. So a lot of positions that could be discussed here in terms of what the Orioles should target. But when Michael Elias did his end-of-the-season press conference, he said when you look at the roster, there aren't too many obvious holes. You could make upgrades at certain positions, but there isn't a glaring need for this team going into free agency because you can look across the 26-man, the 40-man roster and say, I can see a good solution at this position, whether it be a prospect coming up, whether it be somebody who made their debut in 2022, taking a step forward in 2023, there aren't many obvious holes that need to be filled by free agency. I think other than backup catcher, which we will get to, the Orioles have internal options at just about every position on the diamond. And this is an interesting conversation, too, because in this offseason, we're looking at the Orioles as playoff contenders. Yeah. We're not continuing to view them as this rebuilding team who can afford to play young guys that aren't really ready. We're going to talk about some internal options at different positions, but just to use one example, D.L. Hall is probably going to be a starting pitcher going forward. We're not sure if he's going to be a starting pitcher to open up the year. Right. And I think if this were a year ago or if the Orioles hadn't succeeded as much as they did last year, we're probably looking at D.L. Hall as close to a lock in the starting rotation because you're fine with whatever growing pains come along with the first few months of a season where D.L. Hall hasn't really figured out how to be a big league starting pitcher. But now the Orioles are hoping to win 90-plus games. They're hoping to make the playoffs. So you can't really afford to have those growing pains for D.L. Hall right away. You probably need to start him in the bullpen 
ease his way into the starting rotation if that is even the plan for this year. You just can't really afford to lose a bunch of games early on. Same with Jordan Westberg, I think you could say. In right. prior seasons, I think the Orioles' front office would be fully content going into next year saying, we have a top 100 prospect in our system. At a position of need, we feel very comfortable with giving him the reins either on opening day or early in the season and letting him run with it. But when you're looking to compete in the American League, it may not be the best, most prudent idea to give a rookie that much playing time right out of the gate if you're trying to win as many games as possible. Yeah, just look at the third base position to begin this year. They pretty much said, all right, I mean, we've got some middle infield candidates between Rukhnet Odor, Jorge Mateo, Ramona Rios, Tyler Nevin can probably play a corner infield. Kelvin Gutierrez will throw over there for a little while. We'll figure it out. They can't really do that this year. Yeah. Before we get into the specific positions also, we're going to hear a lot of names thrown out, I think, in the comments by Orioles fans. You're going to hear big-time names like Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson. I'm already seeing Trey Turner being bandied about already. But I will say, first and foremost, word to the wise is that simply because you have an already promising above 500 team and you're looking to add a free agent, these free agents are not guaranteed things. I mean, it, it almost goes without saying, but I think that sometimes the hype exceeds the production for a lot of these players. And I looked at last offseason, some of the big-time free agents that we were talking about or that were being discussed in the national media that signed with teams for big dollar amounts. Uh, Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, Carlos Rodon, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon. These were all top names. Chris Bryant in the free agent market. They all signed huge dollar amount deals. None of those guys made the playoffs. And some of those guys signed with teams that were already on the rise, were already above 500 teams, and yet they could not push their teams over the top. So no free agent is going to guarantee wins for a team. Yeah, and even a big-name free agent, like you said. I mean, what did Chris Bryant do in Colorado? Not much. What did Carlos Correa do for the Twins? Twins didn't even make the playoffs. Like you said, they were teams that were on the rise, and those big-name free agents... Didn't really do much. You have to combine those high-end signings with winning on the margins, which a lot of those teams just didn't really do effectively. I mean, look at the Minnesota Twins. They made some kind of on-the-margins moves here and there, like getting Gary Sanchez, getting Gio Urshela. That didn't help any playoff push. The team didn't get any better. So you have to combine whatever larger contracts you're doling out with some quality, smaller moves as well. Exactly. And you have to have a good foundation already in-house for which to build upon. The good thing is the Orioles already have that. One other thing I will say, when we start throwing out dollar amounts and, you know, these are all estimates, there's a good quote from Andrew Friedman. I think it was last year. He was the president of baseball ops for the Dodgers. And he said, if you're always rational about every free agent, you'll finish third on every free agent. So the Orioles have a strong case to make for a lot of these free agents by saying, look, we have a strong young core. We've got Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. We've got the best ballpark in baseball, perhaps, for starting pitcher free agents. We can say we move the wall back. That'll help your ERA. And you can become one of the faces of this team. But at the same time, you do have to pay more on the free agent market than you do for these guys if you're going through the arbitration process and don't expect that you're going to get any kind of discount from these guys, you're going to have to overpay most likely free agents just naturally are overpaid because the market and competition boosts up their dollar amount. And that's also to say, if you know who your guy is, get your guy, right? I mean, the Orioles clearly saw a Jordan Lyles last year and maybe 7 million to us at least seemed like, wow, that's a lot of money for Jordan Lyles. But he came in and did exactly what you wanted him to do. And I think pretty much every fan would probably agree that Jordan Lyles was worth $7 million this year. Even if at the time it seemed like an overpay, the Orioles got the guy that they wanted. And it it certainly helps to make those moves on the margins, like signing the right guys to minor league deals or signing the right guys to $1 or $2 million deals. Those kind of depth moves. But also, look at the postseason. Bryce Harper signed for $330 million. That's so that's a ridiculous amount of money to give to a player, and yet it worked. Manny Machado yep. took his team to the NLCS, signed for $300 million, a ridiculous sum of money, and yet 
helped his team go to the NLCS. So you may have to overpay. And you can't be priced out of a guy that you think can be a serious impact player on your team. And you also have to walk the fine line of not then overpaying for average production right. as well. It's a it's a minefield. Free agency is very, very difficult. All right, Brendan. The positions that the Orioles should target in free agency are four quadrants for the bracket. We have narrowed it down to starting pitcher, backup catcher, middle infield, and a catch-all, qual- uh, catch-all category of big bat. So first base, DH, corner outfield, whatever you want to call that, that is big bat. Yeah. Should we start with starting pitcher? Yeah, let's do that. All right. We talked about Jordan Lyles a ton on the podcast last week. And Jordan Lyles is a major X factor here because the Orioles have until four or five days after the World Series ends to decide upon whether they want to bring back Jordan Lyles on his $11 million option for next year. But Brendan, even if they do bring back Jordan Lyles, you could still make the case that this Orioles team might need another solid veteran pitcher in the rotation. Yeah, as you said, we talked about this a lot in our Jordan Lyles discussion last week, so I'm probably not going to spend as much time on this category as the other three. But when you look at the Orioles' potential starting rotation for next year, I think there's two absolute locks in Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer. Yep. I think there are two pretty much close to locks in Grayson Rodriguez and Tyler Wells. And then you have a lot of other internal possibilities with D.L. Hall, Austin Voth, Mike Bauman, Spencer Watkins. And I stated my case last week for why I thought the Orioles should probably not pick up Jordan Lyles' $11 million option. My argument being that if Lyles is back on this team next year, he's probably your third or fourth best starter, maybe. But if you spend a little bit more money than that $11 million, go after somebody in the 15 to $20 million range, then maybe you could be looking at somebody who is your second or third best starter in the rotation. That by the time the middle of the year rolls along, you could have John Means, Grayson Rodriguez, and a free agent as your top three pitchers. And I think that makes a little bit more sense for the Orioles starting pitching staff next year. And for this offseason, again, you're looking at the Orioles as a potential playoff contender, and I think you need somebody with a little bit more upside than a Jordan Lyles gives you. How much upside? Are you looking for ace upside in a free agent starting pitcher this offseason, or are you looking for more of a mid-tier starting pitcher that can fill in behind Grayson and maybe Bradish and, and Kramer, but just be a solid force in the middle of your starting five? That depends how you're asking. If you're asking in an ideal world, do you go after an ace? The answer is absolutely. If you are living in this world where... (laughs) No, exactly. It's not my money. So I can sit here and say, yeah, the Orioles should absolutely go after Carlos Rodon because it makes a lot of sense. Because he is an ace, he is going into his age 30 season, and he could be a very, very good starting pitcher for a very long time. He's a left-handed starter, so he would get a little bit of a boost with the left field wall getting pushed back, facing right-handers. True. Absolutely, it would make sense. Realistically, are the Orioles going to spend the 30-plus million a year that it takes to get Carlos Rodon? Probably not. Well, the all the good qualities that you mentioned that Carlos Rodon has, it's not like the Orioles are the only ones with that list. Right. Every other team is going to be interested. In There's a not Carlos a team Rodon. in baseball that wouldn't take Carlos Rodon. Exactly. So... A bidding war will likely ensue, I think, for Carlos Rodon. And when I'm surveying the market, Brendan, I see only a few top-tier names. I see Carlos Rodon. I see Justin Verlander, who I think is going to cost a ridiculous amount to be able to lure him away from the potential you know, World Series champion Houston Astros. And in his age 39 season, 40 yeah. season, he's going to cost a ridiculous amount, and he's older. You have Jacob DeGrom, who I, I can't see Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, letting him get too far out the door before he returns. Other than that, I see some intriguing names with some upside, but I don't see any surefire aces outside of those top three. Am I missing anybody? No, I don't, I don't think there's really an ace outside of those top three. But again, there aren't too many aces that hit the open market. True. I mean, there was Garrett Cole two years ago, but... I can't really think of another ace since then and, that is yeah. and Rodon last year, but And we saw how much Garrett Cole got paid. Right. Because there were so few I mean, he's a great pitcher, but the fact that he was one of the very few aces on the market, I think, helped his value. 
Yeah, and I don't think Rodon is going to get Garrett Cole money, but he could still be looking at $30 million a year. Yeah. And can you really afford at this point to put that much money into a single starting pitcher? I'm not really sure. So if you're not signing one of those three aces on the market, they're interesting guys, but there are very few sure things, I think, out there right now. And there are guys that are going to cost probably in the 10 to $20 million range. Per year. Per year, sorry. A- average annual value. But that won't, that will come with a lot of question marks. I think no matter who we're mentioning on this list and no matter who is going to be in the bracket, unless it's Rodon, there are going to be major question marks that come with each of these guys. We mentioned a few last week, but Noah Syndergaard, who has high upside but has serious injury downside and has not looked phenomenal. Chris Bassett has some serious question marks as to whether he can be a true top-of-the-rotation guy. Mike Clevenger is going to be a free agent. He is going to be probably valued higher than his production because he has had great seasons in the past, but also had Tommy John surgery and then could not record an out in a game in the NLCS. So you're going to have these intriguing names and guys that might perk your ears up but also look deeper into the stats because some of these guys come with serious question marks. Yeah, Adam on Facebook comments Aaron Nola. He has a club option for He's, next year, yeah. and I would be very surprised if the He's Phillies shocked. do not pick up that club option, especially considering how well he has pitched down the stretch and into the postseason. I think he's staying in Philly. But again, like you said, I'm I'm looking at that tier of Bassett, Evaldi, Jamison Tyone, Noah Syndergaard, Mike Clevenger, yeah. where they have the potential to be a number two, number three starter in this rotation. And I think even their floor is probably a number three starter, even if they don't pitch incredibly well. A guy like Syndergaard could all of a sudden turn around and be the best pitcher in the rotation. Right. Same goes for Chris Bassett. Avaldi can be the same way. Jamison Tyone, I think, probably has a little bit of a lower ceiling, but even he could be your second best starter in the rotation. But when I'm looking at the full list... If you're priced out of the aces, I think you have to take a little bit of a swing. I don't think Jordan Lyles is a big swing. He's probably, like I said, at best, your third or fourth best starter in the rotation. I think you need to take a swing at somebody who could have an ERA in the mid to low threes. And I think that tier gives you that possibility. It's possible that maybe you just whiff and maybe they aren't that good. And maybe the ERA is closer to the four-and-a-half range, and you overpay them when you could have just paid Jordan Lyles $11 million. Or they get hurt. Or they get hurt. But if you're trying to make the playoffs, I think that's a risk you need to start taking. This is the case I made last week, and I won't rehash it too deeply, but again, not my money, but I would try to bring back Jordan Lyles either on his $11 million option or let him hit free agency and then try to sign him under $11 million. And I would go and sign a higher upside guy because then you're having your cake and eating it too between a surefire innings eater and a high upside rotation piece. I mean, ideally, but I think if you do both of those things, you're pricing yourself out of some better players in other categories that we're going to get to. One more question for the starting pitching for free agent market, Brendan. Do you prefer a lefty or a righty or does it not matter to you? I don't think it should matter. I I think you just need to get the best starting pitcher available. I think it's possible that a lefty might be more enticed to come to Baltimore because if they have, let's say, for example, there's a left-handed starting pitcher who gives up a good amount of home runs to right-handed hitters, and that is really impacting their ERA, Mike Elias can say, hey, you see how far back that left field wall is? You're not going to give up as many home runs to right-handed hitters who are pulling the ball down the line. So maybe a left-handed pitcher says, hey, I could go to Baltimore for two or three years, get an improved DRA, hopefully, and some improved splits against right-handed hitters, and maybe that gets me more money on my next contract. Yeah. Whatever it might be, I think a left-handed pitcher might be more enticed to come to Baltimore, but I don't think that should really make a difference in who you're looking at. And you don't truly know who's going to be in your rotation next year. You mentioned the surefire locks to start the year. Yeah. But... By season's end, you could have a vastly different rotation if D.L. Hall cements himself. There's a lefty. 
if somebody comes up and Drew Rahm comes up and looks like a surefire starter, there's a lefty. So Yeah, you, the two locks that I had were Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish, and neither of them were in the rotation to begin last season. Exactly. So you don't I think it would be overthinking it to look at the rotation and say this rotation really needs a lefty. Yeah. This rotation really needs a righty because you don't know what the problem is gonna be. I lied. One more question about this. How many <laughs> years would you commit? Are you willing to commit to a guy in the starting pitching market? If it's Carlos Rodon, I give him six, seven, eight, however many years it takes to get him to Baltimore. 12 years and a 12 years job and, in the front office after you retire. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a Chris Bassett, Jamison Tyone tier of player, I'm probably looking at three to four. Yeah, I think it depends on the guy. I yeah. think you have to have certain numbers, certain years in your mind for each guy. And you can stick to it a certain amount, but also, you know, don't get priced out. If, if everybody is not is signing for deals that are way over the number of years and dollars that you were hoping to sign the guy for, guess what? You may have to give a guy an extra year. You may have to give him a little bit more in average annual value than you were hoping to. All right, that's starting pitcher. One position I can almost guarantee that the Orioles will address in free agency is backup catcher. And I say almost because they currently have six catchers on their 40-man roster. They made two waiver claims, two guys coming from the Cincinnati Reds. Of course, Adley Rutschman is going to be your opening day starter. Of course, he's going to be your superstar catcher. But other than that, I don't look at any of those five guys and say that guy is a proven big league backup catcher, especially because one of those guys in Bemboom was on this team to start 2022 and was clearly not good enough to be Adley's backup because Chirinos held on to the job. Yeah, and when you're looking at the internal options, like you said, it's probably Anthony Bemboom, Jacob Nottingham, and Cam Gallagher. Yeah. And I just can't really see the Orioles rolling into next season with those guys as your backup catching options. But before we get into this category and talk about some of the names that the Orioles could be looking at, I think we need to preface it with some context, which is that Catchers in baseball right now are just not very good. They're hard to find. I know Robinson Chirinos struggled last year, and his offensive numbers were not great. But if you are expecting the Orioles to go sign a backup catcher with a 750 OPS, you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed. Yeah. Because those guys just aren't a thing in baseball right now. There were, among catchers who played 50 games last season, seven of them had an OPS of 800 or better, and one of them was Adley Rutschman. If there's a catcher with an OPS of 700 or better, he is probably a starter. There were 18 catchers who played at least 50 games last year who had an OPS of 700 or better. And 700 OPS isn't even really that good. Yeah, But if you have that as a catcher, you are probably a starter. We are in the age of the defensive catcher. Yes. And... It makes sense because pitch framing is probably more important than it ever has been and because game calling is also hugely important and because next year you're also going to look at stolen bases probably jumping up as well. So defense first is probably the strength of this market. Both It's the strength of catchers all around baseball and it's the strength of this free agent market. So I saw somebody in the comments say Christian Vasquez is a backup catcher. Christian Vasquez is starting somewhere. He's starting. He's absolutely starting somewhere. Yeah. I mean, he is a starting catcher for somebody. Wilson Contreras is going to be a starting catcher for somebody. And Adley Rutschman's presence on this team means that whoever signs is going to be your backup catcher. And yes, you can probably work him in as a a DH occasionally, but the hope is that you're also going to have enough in your lineup that you're going to have a better option at DH other than your backup catcher. Right. So it is critical that the Orioles sign a quality big league catcher to back up Adley Rutschman. But if you're looking for a massive upgrade over Robinson Chirinos, I have some bad news for you. Yeah, it's not going to happen. You're probably not going to get one. And whatever catcher is signing, too, comes in fully knowing that they are not starting. Exactly. That's an important piece of it, too. Robinson Chirinos even said last year... Yeah, I know Adley Rutschman is going to be here. Yeah. I know that when he comes up, he is going to play a lot of baseball games, and Robinson Chirinos had to sign with Baltimore fully knowing that his role was going to be as a mentor and as a backup catcher 
who was going to get a decent amount of playing time, but Adley Rutschman was going to be the dude. You're not signing Christian Vasquez and saying, hey, Christian, want to come play 70 games, sometimes DH, and mostly yeah. be a backup catcher? He's going to play 120 games. He's going to say, no, I'd rather go to the contender that's going to give me a bunch of money to be their starting catcher. Yeah. So, I mean, even Austin Hedges is, is a possibility here. He had no PS in the 500s, and guess what? He was starting most games for Cleveland in the playoffs. Yeah. Because he is a great defensive catcher, even though he's not a good offensive option. So, just to preface, almost all of these catchers are going to be in their mid to upper 30s. Yep. And you're not going to see some body offensive numbers from just about any of these guys. We may throw in a couple guys like a Contreras or like a Vasquez, but they'll probably be a token top end of the market guy. Right. I don't think that they're going to make up the vast majority. Somebody said Kurt Suzuki. He retired, unfortunately. You're going to get a lot of guys that are close to retirement age. Yeah. 36, 37, maybe where you're going to have to find somebody. And frankly, if you can't sign somebody, if you're not pleased with the options out there, you almost may have to go and trade for somebody. And I know the Orioles probably don't want to trade a lot of their prospect depth for somebody who is ultimately a backup to Adley Rutschman, but you do have to get a quality player at this position. Because we saw at times, Robinson Torinos did a fine job backing up Adley Rutschman. But if you're going to be a contender from start to finish, you do need a little bit more production offensively and, frankly, better defense from behind the plate than what Chirinos gave you this past year. Yeah, Chirinos was not great defensively. No. I think if the Orioles don't sign a backup catcher in free agency, they're probably going to roll with Cam Gallagher because, by all accounts, he's a pretty good defensive backstop. And... Even if he isn't giving you much value offensively, he's at least a quality defensive replacement. I don't know if the Orioles are going to be totally content with that. And when you're looking at potential options, I think it has to be a right-handed hitter. Because Adley Rutschman splits this year. He had no PS close to 900 against right-handed pitching. And against left-handed pitching, when he was hitting as a right-hander, he had no PS of right around 550. And I know people are going to talk about his minor league splits and how he was good against left-handers in the minor leagues. I'm going with what the information in the big leagues has told us so far, which is that Adley has had a much tougher time against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching, which would lead me to believe that whoever is backing him up will be a right-hander. Yeah. The other tough part to consider here is un unless the Orioles make a massive upgrade in their lineup at DH, Adley Rutschman maybe DHing a lot of games that he's not catching. So he may have to face, he may have to be batting from the right side of the plate to face a lefty regardless. Which is fine. I'm yeah. sure he'll improve. Right. But I'm just saying if Adley Rutschman needs an off day, it's probably going to come against a left-handed pitcher. Right. And then you also have, you know, somebody who can pair with Adley a little bit better. All right. So that's starting pitcher. That's middle. Or sorry. That's starting pitcher. That's backup catcher. Do we want to throw out some catcher free agent names real sure. quick? Sure. Of guys that actually fall in their price range. Yeah. I think we're looking at the three names that jumped out to me. Kurt Casale. Yeah. Gary Sanchez, who's a name. He's probably not as good as you remember him being, but he's a name. Uh, and Austin Hedges is another one too. Not good offensively, but he is a very high quality defender and would be a good backup. Uh, to preview the bracket. I think Casale's going to be the number one seed in that bracket because he is right in between starting catcher and quality backup. Yep. And I do like Gary Sanchez because he has higher upside with the bat. We've seen some lows offensively from him. Uh, he had some times with the Yankees where he just got into these doldrums and he would be swinging and missing at everything, but he's got a little bit of pop. I do wonder, he had a pretty good year with Minnesota. If a He team, might be a starter. Yeah, if a team is going to view him as a starter. So... Will the Orioles have to overpay for him? Will they have to guarantee him a little bit more playing time at DH? We'll see. So Gary Sanchez, I agree, is another name in Austin Hedges. So we will have eight members of that category next week. All right, middle infield. Here is where the largest names on the market have their spot on the marquee. Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa. There's also a second tier of middle infielders that I think the Orioles could be intrigued to buy. However, if you get into the third tier of free agents, I think that is where you probably have to walk away from the table if yeah. you're Mike Elias. If you're going to make a, an upgrade in the middle infield this winter, I think 
it has to be a significant upgrade because otherwise you're signing somebody for depth and I already really like, and I think the Orioles front office would agree, the options that they have in-house in terms of depth in the middle infield. Yeah, I just don't think there's any point in bringing in a Rugnet Odor type like you did this year. You don't need a veteran stopgap right now. If you're going to get a veteran, it needs to be a high-quality veteran who has a close-to-everyday role on this team. In terms of looking at the middle infield itself, I don't really think there's any locks. Yeah, I mean, Gunnar Henderson, I mean, you could say he is a, a shortstop, but he's probably going to be your everyday third baseman. He's going to play. If I had to get, he's going somewhere. to play every day. Yeah. My guess is that he'll be your everyday third baseman. We'll mm-hmm. probably talk about what his role is on a future podcast. So if you are assuming that Henderson is playing third base regularly, then your shortstop is Jorge Mateo who had a very encouraging year last year, especially defensively, but hit 220. And then you're looking at just kind of a lot of options at yeah. second base between Ramon Arias, Jordan Westberg, possibly making the opening day roster, Taron Vavra. I don't think you're really content with any of those guys being your opening day starter, unless maybe you're just ready to go with Jordan Westberg. And no just like low-tier veteran is going to come in and take any of those spots. Right. Because Arias, Westberg, and Vavra are all more than good enough to just like get by with if yeah. that's what you need to do. You're not going to get by with some external veteran. A Rugnet Odor would be type, would be wasting at bats. Yes. Because at that point, he's not a sizable upgrade over a Taron Vavra, over a Jordan Westberg, who you would rather see play and develop. So there doesn't seem to be much sense in bringing in a depth piece who can compete with those guys for starting starting reps right. at second base yeah. or shortstop. You are, If you're going to sign somebody, you have to sign somebody who you know is a sizable upgrade over everybody that you have in-house. And you don't feel great with the list that you just gave me, Brendan, with... Mateo, who has some clear holes in his game offensively, with Taron Vavra, who who knows if he'll ever have enough power to be an everyday second baseman, or if he'll, he'll ever develop into an everyday second baseman. Jordan Westberg, who has an, a great high ceiling, but we don't fully know if he's going to hit that ceiling. He hasn't yet made his MLB debut. But I think you can be happy with the conglomerate that you already have. And Ramon Arias, yeah. who is a very quality you know, versatile middle infielder. So you can look at that group and say, between those guys, we'll go into spring training and we'll let them battle it out and we'll see who takes second and we'll see if somebody can push Jorge Mateo at shortstop. I think in an ideal world, if you were looking at the Baltimore Orioles in the playoffs and saying, what does their middle infield look like? You are probably seeing Ramon Arias as a utility player and Taron Vavra as a utility player. I'm not really sure where Jordan Westberg fits into that equation, whether he becomes an everyday starter somewhere, or maybe he's just a good player off the bench as well. But I don't think you'd be looking at an Orioles playoff team with Ramon Arias as your everyday second baseman. Right. Or Taron Vavra as your everyday second baseman. Ryan Miller on Facebook also saying Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby. Yep. Both those guys got a taste of AAA. I don't think either of them are opening day candidates but could be up with the big league team at some point next year. But again, no, neither of those guys are sure things. I mean, right. Ortiz is not a top 100 prospect. Norby is not a top 100 prospect. Yes, they might turn into good players, but if you're looking to win games every month of the season, you may need a quality veteran middle infielder to hold down the fort. And those types of names are exactly why we're not saying go sign a D.D. Gregorius or somebody who like maybe we'll be okay for yeah. a little while. There's no point in blocking Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg for that type of player. So let's address the elephant in the room, which yeah. <laughs> is do you go after any of the big names in Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson? Does it make sense? Yeah. Does it make sense to go after, I'm going to use Correa because I think he is the most likely option. Sure. We heard the rumors last year. 
I think if the Orioles are going to sign any big name, any huge name, it would probably be Carlos Correa. Does it make sense? Absolutely. Because, yes, you don't want to block Joey Ortiz or Connor Norby or Jordan Westberg, but if it's for Carlos Correa, <laughs> yeah. you do whatever you need to do. Right. I mean, you are... It would be a dream if somebody like Jordan Westberg turns into close to the quality of player that Carlos Correa oh my is. Gosh, yeah. That would be unbelievable. Yeah. You can't wait around and say, well, Jordan Westberg has great potential. Yeah, he doesn't have Carlos Correa potential. Right. And I like Jorge Mateo a lot. I think he brings a lot to this team and his speed and his defense and a little bit of pop with the bat. But it's Carlos Correa. And also keep in mind, I think Jorge Mateo's a year younger than Carlos Correa. Yeah. And look at what Correa has done in his big league career. I mean, he had, you can say all you want about Jorge Mateo's defense and how he should have been a gold glove nominee over Carlos Correa this year. A year before, Carlos Correa had 20 yep. defensive runs saved at shortstop. And already won the Rookie of the Year, already won a World Series, already has was established himself, and already signed a deal that was worth, what, $30 million a year. Yep. So I like Jorge Mateo, but keep in mind, Correa has done had this incredible career, and yet he's 28 years old at this point. So Correa's an obvious guy in addition to his connection to Michael Elias and the Astros. If the prospects turn out to be as good as we hope they are, and Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz, Jordan Westberg turn out to be players that you want to get playing time, and now all of a sudden Carlos Correa is on the roster too, you figure it out. Yeah. you. I mean, what an unbelievably good problem to have. I look at the Padres when they signed Manny Machado. Yeah, figure it out. Figure out where to put him. Yeah, because they said, you know, he, he went into that, free agency saying, I really want to play shortstop. And then the Padres offered him $300 million and he said, yeah, I can play third base because yeah. Fernando Tatis is there. Exactly. So you move the pieces around for a Carlos Correa. I like, I mean, Xander Bogarts, I think. He doesn't have the Astros connection, but I think would be a any ideal of, fit. Any of these big names make a ton yes. of sense. I mean, Trey Turner, he's played second base. You could put him at second and still keep Mateo at short or put Westberg at short or put Gunner at short. You can figure this out if the guy is a superstar. This is the Orioles podcast. And we are talking about I'm how... I'm getting excited. <laughs> yeah, because the possibility of any of those guys being on your baseball team is incredible. Saying their names just conjures yeah. images. But here's the thing. You're tuning into the Orioles podcast where we're talking about how great it would be to have Carlos Correa on your baseball team. Tune in to 29 other podcasts yeah. around the league of different teams, and they are saying how great it would be to have Carlos Correa on your baseball team. Maybe not the Oakland A's, but, you know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, but even they would say, they wow, would, that would be they great. They would say. They yeah. would say this would be awesome. So the issue, again, here becomes where does the line get drawn money-wise? Yeah. Because Carlos Correa, again, we're gonna. I'm just going to keep going back to him as the example. He turns down his player option <laughs> of $35 million. Yeah. That is so much money to give a guy for a year. And if Carlos Correa just said no to that on a Minnesota Twins team that, yes, missed the playoffs, but has some potential. They've got some good young pieces. They've been known to spend money. Like that, That's a, a yeah. competitive franchise. So he just turned down $35 million. With a pretty good team. Yeah. You're going to have to give Carlos Correa so much money. And I know Carlos Correa probably has a good relationship with Mike Elias. Great. He's still going to say, give me a lot of money. <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that that Mike Elias helped draft him. But I think uh, that gratitude only extends so far. It does not extend. It does not extend to the, <laughs> to the paychecks. <laughs> yes. So, again, I think a lot of these guys are going to be out of the price range for the Orioles. But the second tier does have some okay names. Yep. Not, a, not a deep second tier, I would say. I, I kind of disagree. Yeah, I kind of like the second tier here. It depends on options, right. I will say. So the second tier that I'm looking at, specifically probably for second base, if you are cool with rolling with Jorge Mateo at short, and maybe you get Jordan Westberg or Joey Ortiz in there throughout the year, I think you're content with those options at shortstop. Yeah. So at second base, I'm looking at Adam Frazier. Yeah, I like Who I think lot. would be 
a fantastic fit where he can play second base. He can play the outfield if you need to move him around. Had a bit of a down year, but has had some great years in the past. I think he would be a great option that you could probably get for around $10 million a year. Two guys with, or excuse me, three guys with options that were intriguing as well. Colton Wong, Joey Wendell, Gene Segura. Yeah. I think all of those guys would be your everyday starter at second base. And you wouldn't say, hey, there's no reason that they should be getting at-bats over Jordan Westberg. No, they should. Yeah, Those are really good second basemen that I think you could, again, get for probably the 7 to $12 million a year range. Segura, I believe, has a team option with the Phillies for 17 mil. That's a big one, though. It is 17 big. million, I, I think that's kind of a toss-up whether or not the Phillies bring him back. Yeah, so there are you know, questions as to whether he'll even hit the free agent market. But yeah, that's a not bad second tier. I think of of middle infielders that you would feel comfortable at least being your opening day starter, and frankly, that wouldn't break the bank. None of those guys, yeah. in theory, and you could. I think a lot of those guys that you mentioned there, you could in theory hand them a three year deal, maybe four year deal. But the problem is, I think also a lot of those guys are hitting the twenty nine thirty range. Yeah, and, and I think it's looking for something to lock them up for five years. I think it's also interesting that all of those second tier options that I like are second baseman. There's yeah. not really a second tier shortstop that I like unless you're buying the one year of unbelievable play from Elvis Andrus, which right. I'm not yeah, really he's 36 in his age 30 something season. I'm not just not really 30, buying that. He's going to be 35 next year. Yeah. I'm not really buying that. Yeah. At least to the point where I'd start him consistently over Jorge Mateo. And I will say, you mentioned Aditi Gregorius. I mean, there are other options out there of, of veterans. You know, Hans Alberto probably not going to be brought back, but guys that could be brought back on, or could be brought in on minor league deals. Yep. I wouldn't rule that out. But if the Orioles are going to do that, they're not going to give that guy the opening day spot. No. They're not going to sign what I don't see happening. And I could be entirely wrong. You can play this back when I am wrong. But I, what I don't see happening is the Orioles signing somebody like a Rugnet Odor for a $1 million deal and basically guaranteeing him a starting spot. Yeah, there's no the, point. The middle infield. Somebody just asked, what are the chances Odor comes back on a minor league deal? I think it's possible, but you're not handing him the keys to no, second base. I think it's that is definitely possible. Yeah. But he would have to come back knowing that he's not getting a starting spot. May, sure, he can compete for some playing time, but... Guess what? Jordan Westberg is your minor league player of the year. I would rather see Jordan Westberg out there. Me too. All right. That's middle infield. And there is some overlap between middle infield and big bat. Because oh, I love this category. Carlos Correa is a big bat. Yeah. Xander Bogarts is a big bat. Trey Turner is a pretty big bat. But these guys are more of the first baseman, of the DH, of the corner outfield, of maybe even a third base type as opposed to middle infielder. Yep. Those guys that we just mentioned are going to get a ton of money because they are big bats and they play premier defensive positions. These guys might get a little bit less money because they don't play premier defensive positions. Yeah, we could even see Michael Elias throw a curveball and go sign Brandon Drury to play third base and then just say, Gunnar Henderson, you're the everyday shortstop. I would love that. I think Brandon also, Drury would be a terrific fit yeah. for this team. He's not yet 30, is he? No. 29? Breakout season last year, got traded to San Diego, was... Probably one of their best players last year. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, makes sense. So this category has a, a lot of uh, first basemen, and I think that's probably the position that the Orioles would like to target here. Yep. Because you have Ryan Mountcastle, obviously, your everyday first baseman, but if you could sign a left-handed hitting first baseman, somebody to back up Mountcastle, that would be ideal. Right now, you don't really have too many internal options at first base. Tyler Nevin is not only a righty, but he struggled in the big leagues last year. They were even looking at Anthony Santander. Never got into a game at first base, but he was taking grounders over there. They were looking at Taron Vavra at first base last year. I think Adley Rutschman has the potential to play first base at some point because we saw him do that in the minors. But you don't have a backup first baseman right now who can platoon with Ryan Mountcastle. And I think the Orioles might look to sign somebody of that ilk. And I think it's even less of an issue of needing a backup first baseman, which you do need. I mean, yeah. you could probably figure it out, but I think it's less of an issue of signing a backup first baseman and more of a, hey, the Orioles could use another middle of the lineup bat because once you get to the three, four, five, 
Adley Rutschman, Ryan Mountcastle, Anthony Santander, those are good quality power bats, but I think you could use a left-handed hitter in there somewhere. Yeah. You've got Adley Rutschman and Anthony Santander, who are both switch hitters. Ryan Mountcastle, who is a right-handed hitting first baseman. I think you could use a lefty who can play DH pretty consistently. And like you said, it would be nice if he can be a backup first baseman, backup corner outfield, maybe, if you just need to fit him in the lineup somewhere. And frankly, the Orioles' offense was a problem at times this past year. 20th in OPS, 15th in homers. You can say what you want about the wall, but they still didn't hit as many homers as they should have. 20th in runs scored, 14th in slugging percentage. Those were fine for who they were last year, and their pitching was good enough to lift them to a winning record. But again, if you're looking to be one of the top teams in the American League next year and grab one of those wild card spots, those numbers aren't going to cut it. You need more offense. And it's kind of ironic because we're sitting here saying, yeah, you could really use a backup first base DH type who has the capability of playing corner outfield. That's Trey Mancini. And I think there is a possibility that the Orioles bring Trey Mancini back. He'll be on the bracket. He'll he'll be on the bracket. He might get eliminated pretty quickly. But I think you're probably looking at a left-hander. I don't think it's a lock. And Trey Mancini does kind of fit the bill of what you'd be looking at. But I don't think it's Mancini. And you can look at the guys that you already have and say that you're going to get more offense in the form of development. And Adley Rutschman, you're now going to have for a full year instead of from late May onward. You're going to have Mount Castle maybe improves a little bit more offensively. He's still only going to be 26 next year. You're going to have Kyle Stowers, who may take a leap up from his rookie year. You're going to have a full year of Gunnar Henderson as opposed to September. But you don't want to be sitting there in late July saying... We're hanging on by a thread in this playoff race. We need to go and trade for a big bat because guess what? Those guys cost a ton. They're going to cost a ton in terms of prospects. So you would rather just go out there and spend money and not have to give up prospects for a big bat right now and not have to incur that problem. And this category has some names. We're seeing some names get thrown around on Facebook and YouTube. One popular one is Josh Bell. Do they have dudes and a half though? Yeah, I think some of these guys are dudes and a half. Any two dudes out there? Oh, well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, The name uh, Jose Abreu getting thrown out. I don't know if he fits as well because Jose Abreu is probably going to be an everyday starter somewhere. Josh Bell is also probably going to be an everyday starter somewhere. But I think whoever you're signing here is probably close to an everyday starter. I think you might be looking at a veteran who is playing a lot of DH, and that's probably the role that you're promising, maybe seven games out of ten. And then the other three games are looking at backup first baseman or corner outfield, like you said. So I'm just going to start throwing out names. I mean, I don't I don't think you're going to go after, obviously, Aaron Judge, Brandon Nimmo. I don't see the Orioles going after Anthony Rizzo, who is more than likely going to decline his player option. Somebody mentioned him on Twitter this morning for the Orioles. He he declined. I mean, if he's declining that option, it's 16 mil. Yeah, he's also just going to be a starter. Yeah, that's a ton of money to be right. handing him. And I think if you're signing Anthony Rizzo, who is a gold glove caliber first baseman, you'd be signing him as a starting first baseman. Yeah. And I don't think you want to bounce Ryan Mountcastle to DH. No. Not unless you have to, considering how good he was last year at first base. So I'm just going to throw out some names, Paul, that were intriguing to me in this category. Brandon Drury, I already mentioned, I don't think he is a high possibility because I don't think the Orioles are going to sign somebody who is a starting third baseman, but I think it's possible. The two biggest names that I looked at, Mm -hmm. Jock Peterson, love it, big left-handed bat who can DH, has played some first base before, I think probably only a handful of games, but can also play corner outfield. And Michael Brantley, right, who is just a professional hitter, a little bit older, so he would probably honestly prefer to be your designated hitter. And again, he can, he can probably teach him how to play first base if he needed him to, and he can play a corner outfield when necessary, but he'd probably rather be your designated hitter. Josh Bell and Eric Hosmer, as two backup first base options, I think they would both make sense. Josh Bell is probably going to be pretty expensive, but he's not good defensively at first base, so you probably want to DH him. And Eric Hosmer, 
I just don't think is going to command a lot of money, and he's a good veteran presence, he'd be a solid backup for his baseman as well. I love the Jock Peterson idea, and it's interesting because I think you look at Kyle Stowers and you say, Kyle Stowers, if he hits, is Jock Peterson, right? I mean, left-handed. He's a little bit more athletic than Josh Peterson. Jock, excuse me. Uh, Probably a little bit better defensively in the outfield. Yeah. But also just some pop from that left side of the plate. And I don't think we have the highest ceiling, of course, you know, highest expectations for Kyle Stowers, but... I think Kyle Stowers could be in that mold yeah. of a Jock Peterson. And I look at Josh Bell, who has the ability to go yard at from both sides of the plate. I think he's incredibly intriguing, but I wonder if the Orioles would be priced out of that market as well because he's going to command a lot of money, and frankly, you're going to want him in your lineup as much as possible. So, you know, he's going to want to play probably 140 games if he's healthy. Um, who are some of the other... I like the Michael Brantley... Yeah, Michael Idea. Brantley. He's going to be 37. Yeah, but... Sounds like a designated hitter to me. Right. If you can sign him for two years, he has the Astros connection. Matt Carpenter, I think, is another name. That one carries a lot of risk, though, because how much are you buying the yeah. handful of games that he played in New York where he looked like Babe Ruth? He was and, excellent. Yeah, he was excellent. And then how much are you looking at his 2021 in St. Louis where he looked like his... Totally lost. He looked, he looked done. Yeah. He looked like hang him up. Yeah. So... How much are you buying Matt Carpenter? I think Brandon Belt is yeah. a possibility as well. Left-handed hitting first baseman. Same kind of thing, where how much are you buying the track record versus how much are you buying what he did last year? Opposite of Carpenter, was not good last year. And San Francisco is probably looking to move on there. Wasn't good last year, but has a pretty quality track record before that. You mentioned Hosmer. Yep. If Hosmer turned down a trade to the Nationals... I don't know if that's a location thing, if that's a It's probably a team not thing. contending team. But right. maybe you could say, hey, Eric Hosmer, we think we're going to make the playoffs this year. You saw what we did last year. It was right. an exciting team. The Orioles are pretty far ahead of where the Nationals are. Health would be a concern for Hosmer as well. I know he barely played for the Red Sox last year. Also, I'm going to get things thrown at me through this camera, but Joey Gallo want to prove it? <laughs> I mean, he's been terrible, but... He could probably, he's a gold glove caliber corner outfielder if you need him there. He's a left handed power bat. He can probably play first base. I'm not saying give him a lot of money. I'm not saying give him a ton of at bats. I would just rather see Stowers at that point because Stowers at least has more upside. I think if you would go after a Joey Gallo, like he splits time at DH with Kyle Stowers, you're not going to give him the number of at bats you would give to a Michael Brantley or Jock Peterson. I'm just saying that you could give Joey Gallo a small deal, a small prove-it deal, and if all of a sudden he turns things around and looks good, you just got yourself an everyday player yeah. on the cheap. Somebody else else also saying, Ryan saying on Facebook, the shift being banned is certainly going to help left-handed hitters. So this guy being a lefty, I think, might matter even more next year. And Mancini, again, fits the mold, but will the Orioles be looking to get somebody who is a a lefty first and foremost, because you also mentioned some big names of some righties. I mean, Jose Abreu, if the White Sox, I think they have a team option with him, if they decide to move on from him, Abreu is a righty, but Abreu is a fantastic player. J.D. Martinez. (laughs) J.D. Martinez. That could be your everyday DH. That's an incredible player. You probably won't shell out the money for him. Yeah, but if you're looking to get a great player, does it even matter that he's a righty at that point? Yep. I mean, J.D. Martinez... And Michael Brantley are kind of similar in that just they are unbelievable hitters that you are probably going to DH every day, but it it almost doesn't even matter that you'd have to DH them every day because they are just going to be that good and be so much of a mainstay in your lineup that it, it just doesn't matter. The commenters appear to be split on Joey Gallo. Very split, so. but I am glad that not everybody is against me. <laughs> Brian on Facebook saying Gallo in our ballpark is interesting. Somebody on YouTube, though, said, lol, I'm good with Gallo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it would <laughs> no be a thanks. polarizing move, but if you can get him for a low dollar amount and he somehow turns back the clock a few years and forgets that, I mean, heck, he struggled in New York and L.A., has been quoted as saying that the big market for him with you know the media the scrutiny everything was not good right you could say hey this is baltimore it's not as big of a market as new york or la yeah maybe you can turn things around and play like you did in texas i'll ask him some hard-hitting questions i mean come on i'm not gonna 
throw him some softballs if he signs with the Baltimore Orioles. Come on. Uh, also, whether you're looking for a power guy or an average guy is interesting because I'm seeing some comments that are saying sign somebody who hits for a high average in this spot. Personally, I'd rather see power numbers because we talked about, I mean, the Orioles, like I mentioned, 15th in homers last year. Again, I know that partly the wall, but I don't. I think Adley's going to be a phenomenal hitter. I think he's going to be a great doubles hitter. He hit a ton of doubles. I don't know if he's going to be a huge power guy. I think Gunner provides some pop in that lineup. But other than that, I mean, Mountcastle, of course, has the ability to go yard 33 times a year like we saw a couple years ago. But frankly, I, I'd be okay with a little bit lower average guy because I also think Jordan Westbrook has the potential to be a very high average guy. I think that some of the guys in their lineup right now, Mullins is going to get on base, but he's not going to hit 30 home runs probably ever again. You know, so I think that I would probably rather have somebody who has the ability to go yard, especially from the left side of the plate where getting onto the flag court is not all that difficult. Or how about you just get Jock Peterson who hit 275 with 23 homers? The best of both worlds? I, I will be pounding the table for Jock Peterson on next week's podcast. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I mean, Jock Peterson. I don't think you need to, though, because I think I'm going to be on your side. Yeah, I mean, it just, you look at Jock, the player, and it just makes so much sense Yeah, that it, it would almost, it, obviously, it's not going to be shocking if the Orioles don't sign him, if they don't sign the one guy that we are banging the table for. But I think out of any name that we've thrown out, he just makes too much sense. He does. He makes a lot of sense. Uh, Colton Kowser also being brought up. We have not mentioned his name. Yeah. Got some time in AAA last year. Hit very well in his last 17 games, 300. But is he ready to make the opening day roster? Probably not. Again, it's it's a really interesting conversation this offseason because you were looking at the Orioles completely differently than we were looking at them last year. If this is a last-year discussion, we're saying, well, you can't sign anybody that's going to block Colton Kowser, who could be up within a few months, Jordan yeah. Westberg, who could be on the opening day roster, Connor Norby, Joey Ortiz. We'd be saying that there's really no point in signing a veteran free agent who is just going to kind of be a stopgap for those prospects. And you can also just live with whatever growing pains the prospects give you. You can't do that this year. Yeah. Because... You are pushing for the playoffs. And yeah, maybe you don't get there. But given what the team did last year, you have to have an offseason that says, yeah, we're going to try. Yeah. We're going to try to push for the playoffs. You, you don't have to win the offseason, though. And I think yeah, odds are the team that wins the offseason does not win the World Series and frankly doesn't get very close very often. So I do think that you know it's it's not incumbent upon you to go out and be the biggest spenders. But you will need to spend some money. And Michael Elias said before the end of the year, our payroll payroll will increase. But he's also rolling in arbitration into that because Anthony Santander is projected, I think, according to MLB trade rumors, to get seven and a half million, close to that. Austin Hayes is probably going to get a bump. Cedric Mullins, I believe, is due for arbitration. So these guys are going to get more in arbitration. So that is an equation into this payroll bump as well. How much are the Orioles willing to give to somebody out, out of side of their organization? Sure. But I will say, too, I'm not going to be disappointed if the Orioles don't sign Carlos Correa. Right. If they don't sign a guy to a 30-plus million-dollar deal. If the Orioles come out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an offseason that I would be thrilled with, which is one where the Orioles sign, I'm just going to take some names from this category, where they sign Jamison Tyone, Austin Hedges, Joey Wendell, and Jock Peterson. Yeah. I think that's a great offseason. All right. Well, make it happen. At that I, point. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening, uh, that's what there you should you do. That's the, that's that's the blueprint. We that. have figured it out. <laughs> uh, please let us know who you think the Orioles should sign. And I'm seeing comments all over the map. So keep those coming as well. And uh, we will have our free agency bracket next week with those four positions. Middle infield, backup catcher, big bat, and starting pitcher. Let us know who you think should be the one seats in each of those brackets or in each of those regions. I got it. Logan on YouTube says Otani. There it is. Offseason solved. Trade for Otani. Easy. One year left on his deal. Also, uh, one more thing. I, I keep, I'm sorry to our producer, Amy Jennings. I'm keeping this going here. <laughs> I think the priority, even if you don't sign some of these big guys, I think the priority for me, if I were. Michael Elias, would be to extend the guys that you have in-house. Yep. That's a long conversation that we'll have 
on a day. Oh, that's a podcast. But I, if you can, ex- if you don't get any of these top free agents, and yet you're able to extend Adley Rutschman and or Gunnar Henderson, massive W. That's a win. That's a win. Yep. So, all right. That just about does it for our podcast today. <laughs> at Brendan Morty is his Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancana. Please listen to our podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Give us uh, five stars, rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Emmy Jennings, our producer today. And we will be back next week with the free agency bracket.